0: hello and welcome to another sports next door podcast my name is owen today is thursday march 31st and i'm joined on this final day of march as i always am by my neighbor max how's it going my friend
1: enough bullet at at the side of us in the same shirt on the zoom call uh both rocking the black with white stripes yep yours looks like it's got uh what do you call that a henley when it's got like the three buttons at the top mine the classic t tell you <laughs> fair enough uh i've had a pretty busy week and because of it spent the entire day just in bed and as i was telling you it felt like that day passed in two hours um but like i can feel the muscles in my legs growing as i've just been like slapping down protein shakes eggs ground beef chicken um but i want to dwell on the negativity because tuesday night saw poppy and had such an amazing time at a show oh i i know i said last time when i got to the first show of COVID, like oh my god i needed this that was therapeutic well like I went through all that trauma again, having shows canceled January, February, March 28th, but I had one show canceled in March. So we'll say March as well. Um, it's fun. like. I started going to shows when I was 15 years old and none of my friends liked the same music and I was never going to get anyone to come to these like heavy screamo shows with me. Uh, So going as a 15 year old, there was like a lot of ropes to learn a lot of figuring out of what shows are like very intense shows like filled crowds. Kind of feels like I'm on the other end of that now, which is a strange feeling like this venue wasn't huge compared, it wasn't like the biggest club show you can sell in montreal uh so the crowd a bit smaller but like noticeably young normally like intro music for the headliner will come and the crowd just makes this push and if you were in the front you're just sardined and you don't have room to move your elbows um if you wanted to get to the front it's too late and you're gonna have to spend 20 minutes just like slowly wedging yourself through the space as movement happens uh there was none of that here which I was kind of surprised I don't know if you saw my Instagram story but it was like a fairly heavy show at times uh, Poppy screams so well um but it was really frustrating me because all that space meant crowd surfing kind of impossible I did go for it I like found two guys who looked kind of strong. I was like, Hey, help me up. And normally you just point like you tap their shoulders. They turn around you point up and they're like, okay. And you just kind of go and they help you. I don't know if it was a French English thing, but it took a couple of attempts to explain. Maybe they were also new. They looked a little older than most of the demographic though. But then once I got up, there was like, normally if three people miss you, they're so packed together, you're still going to land on their heads and shoulders. And like some people will see you and get you. But there was so much space that was like pretty plausible that you like you would just get handed over and then just fall. Um, so I had to like really keep observant and I was just like throwing my hands out on people's shoulders and then like, oh, my God, I hope they like help me up because if like the people behind me push me over and it's just my hand on their shoulder, I'm going to fall somehow i made it got a high five pulling off the only crowd surf of the show high five from poppy and then nice. the security guy at the guardrail looked at me and just looked at how the 15 year old girls on their phone is in the like next three rows that would need to help me get over the barricade <sighs> and just like pushed me down which <sighs> probably he probably saved me from falling so uh, nice yeah i also got hit by a guitar pick at the end and just looked up and saw it on the floor and saw no one going for it so crazy luck at this show i guess it was amazing and as exhausted as i am um, the soul very revitalized very
0: very cool crowd surfing fortuitous bounces (laughs) my excitement for this week was renegotiating my internet bill (laughs) (laughs) that was uh you crush it uh, I did all right. I did all right. Can't complain. okay. <laughs> so the opposite ends of the spectrum there. i I had my fun weekend. I'm looking forward to a bit more of a relaxing down weekend here before uh the month of April is full of lots of ultimate. So that'll oh. be back on the calendar and hopefully getting out and about it's yeah, it's it's getting real
1: again that I'm putting down that commitment for the summer, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, there is only so much energy you can have. I've had a friend in town the past like week and a half, though it's been a bit on and off, um, and she's not in Montreal that long. And I tried to reach out and get out to a bar last night because like clock is ticking. And I was just after all the working and the concert, like I kind of went 72 hours without really having like two hours to myself. And I was just passing out in my chair on the bar. (laughs) So I've reached my limit. Nothing wrong with a little R&R. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Which is why uh, this pod probably won't be the longest one that we've ever had by any means, but... We're hoping to get through some good stuff today we've got tennis hockey basketball and football on the agenda and without further ado max i know we're going to start with the miami open so what do you got for us
1: yeah let's start right at the top of the draw with temporary number one seed daniel medvedev failing in his bid to reclaim that seed falling to the polish herbert herkaz the defending miami open champion O oh, this guy now eight and zero in the past two calendar years at miami uh, gets himself out early medvedev shows that strength makes a push makes it tight but Herkaz comes back in the tie break in the first set with a bit of luck and then takes the second set a little more cleanly Something about self-belief, confidence being determined by a certain time and place. I think something very prevalent in all sports. So we're seeing that here with Herbert. Uh, Shit, I think it's Hubert, my bad. Um, He will face the winner in what is definitely the most exciting of the quarterfinal matchups in Carlos Alcaraz versus the Serbian uh, Kets Maneval. I looked this up. Kets Ketchmanov. Uh, Alcaraz playing one of the matches of the year so far against Titsypaso. So I don't know if you saw any of the rally clips or heard about this. This one ridiculous one where uh Tsitsipas sends a drop shot, Alcaraz meets it at the net, Stefanos runs out, def- like challenges uh Carlos's volley managed to get a nice touch on it, lob it over Carlos all the way back. Carlos sprints, hits the tweener, sails it over Tsitsipas, who who is waiting at the net to challenge it. Stefanos gets back, runs, hits his own tweener, and then Alcaraz puts that away with a volley. Unbelievable. Um, that was in the first 10 minutes of the match, and it just lived up to that. Stefanos got a break not long after, but then just something clicked for Alcaraz, like. City Pass did nothing wrong and was up 5-2 and still lost that set because Alcaraz just put it into another gear. Uh, when players can play, use their strongest hand they have, and then suddenly lock in everywhere else. So for Alcaraz that means the, tenet, the shots are just brutal, pounding, punishing, and non-stop consistent. And that's on brand for him but when like the lobs and drop shots start having that final like perfect touch it what can you do it, if your sitsi pass it was nothing for times he had a chance there in the second set uh and then kind of a couple unforced errors ruined that chance they created for himself but for the most part it was just a great tennis player getting beaten by an even better tennis performance uh the signs, the stars are just showing, like, we've we've been waiting, like, what's next after Rafa, what's next after Djokovic, Uh, looking at guys like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, kind of waiting for them to take that step. Uh, it's, It's early, it's so early, but if this kid continues to play the way he's playing, a couple of, he has two clay 1,000 masters coming up, he just took home his first clay 500 this year at 18 in one quarters already one win away from going back excuse me one semis at a masters event already earlier this month one went away from going back to back at the semis uh against hercas that's a really exciting matchup either way um but then like the odds even better at the two clay events coming up and then the french wimbled it like This kid is three months away from superstardom, I think, and he just has to maintain the level he's at. Um, But Kachimanov, I would say, has had by far the toughest strength of schedule of anyone in this draw. Uh, He took out Felix in the second round, I think I mentioned that at the time as it happened, taking out Sebastian Corda as well, no joke. Taylor Fritz, the winner of Indian Wells just a little over a week ago. Um so by far the competition who's been having to beat the higher level guys for a longer time advantage going to the serb that should be fun then the bottom half of the draw a little less exciting uh Serandulo, the argentinian bit of a dark horse having a run and then uh taking out sinner uh that the biggest one for him and then casper rudd who normally only really excels at the clay events um bit of a coming out party taking out Zverev. This is a really good run for him at a hardcore 1000, a top 10 player who needs to extend the success he has on clay into other domains to really take it to that next level. Uh, So eyes on that should be interesting. This is our second last uh, check-in in Miami. Sunday, it all wrapping up. So looking forward to seeing who takes that. Hockey? Yes, sir. Don't know if you watched any of this game, but uh, the
0: Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins engaged in another memorable hockey game, if if that's at least 35 minutes of it was a hockey game. No, I, I think I'm letting some of the, the stuff cloud. It, it was a hockey game all the way through. There were some extracurricular activities and it did kind of open the door into what playoffs are going to look like as we know what they look like every year um things get a little tighter uh things get a little bit more feistier um but the leafs making a very very strong but costly statement at td garden going up 6-1 at one point the game does finish 6-4 um but it does cost them uh hall Mrazic and Ilya lubushkin all to injury in that game. couple guys dropping. Uh, not great to see. I thought for the most part every one of the Leafs looked locked in and played really, really well. Nice to see Colin Blackwell, who is an awesome fourth liner. Uh, get a goal to kick things off. and of course Matthews now, one away from 50 on the season. And, and the Leafs were absolutely buzzing and running the Bruins out of their own building. And so, of course, Boston, in classic fashion, turns to the old, uh, the extracurricular activities, as I mentioned before. And uh, Lubushkin le- lays a questionable hit against Taylor Hall along the boards. Hall, seeing red, gets up and straight punches him from behind in, in the face, like, And a lot of discourse on social media, wherever you follow it about how bad the punch was or what he did. But in any event, in a hockey game, there are fights, and then there are getting up and punching someone from behind. And I was shocked that Taylor Hall did not receive a suspension. He got the maximum fine, $5,000, which was the softest thing ever, but what else can we expect from NHL player safety? They have never done a great job with establishing precedent or establishing just a standard, right? Just a common standard. And it it just it continues to make a mockery that guys can hit people from behind, Marchand finally got, he got 10 minute misconduct, but not even for going and slashing guys. He got it for mouthing off to the ref. So he hurt the ref's feelings. And that was the thing worthy of a 10 minute misconduct, which I mean, there's no greater thing in the world than watching Brad Marchand lose and implode in a hockey game. Like, <laughs> Just that part was excellent to see. And it really killed the Bruins momentum. In my opinion, they were doing very, very well near the end of that second period. And I think they would have come out a lot, um, a lot faster, but by the time they started scoring goals and making their comeback, uh, there was halfway through the period and they just didn't have enough time left. We've seen them do traumatizing things to the Leafs before in the past, but, but this was not one of those times. And on the other side for the Leafs, I thought, for the most part, they held up well in those situations, um, but it's just another thing that they're going to have to expect going into the playoffs and uh, losing a guy like Labushkin, who they they got in a great trade now, and he has been super rock steady. Right, nothing special, but you kind of need those guys who are defensively uh, focused, and if they're not, if you're not noticing them, then it's probably a good thing. Similar to what we said with Giordano and. Losing him is big because he's your biggest guy and lays the biggest hits, uh, at least until Muzzin is back. Um, and losing Hall is really tough because you just continue to lose your depth there. Now with Dermot and Biega traded at the trade deadline, the The blue line is a little thin and sandine, of course, with the knee injury. So don't know where they're going to turn to if, if Hall's not ready to go tonight. And then Lastly, Peter Mrazek, who is having a just super unlucky season, uh, seemingly finally getting a bit of a groove going, and and gets hurt again. So Eric Schlegren in the net, he'll he'll start again tonight. And overall, the theme for the Leafs is they are looking very low on goaltenders. They had two emergency backup goalies with the Marlies this week, um, and they got Carter Hutton. He's obviously not going to be playing, so you just gotta hope that Jack is healthy sooner rather than later and apparently he's almost there so uh, it kind of feels like one guy goes down just in time to get the other guy but you worry with the injury history the team has had this season
1: that you could lose a couple of those guys at the same time and really be screwed in time for the playoffs yeah i think muzzin also looking like he might be able to step in at a day-to-day status and hall it seemed i thought i saw he was ready for today it didn't look too dire um Labushkin, though is questionable and i did want to circle back to that hall incident because i do enjoy fighting in hockey and <laughs> find myself defending it in an increasingly uncomfortable feeling at times with a lot of the boneheadedness and i i think for fans of the physicality the the we're gonna referee our own game our own style our own values because we can't trust the refs to do it for us that's something when fighting's at its best that element can be amazing in hockey but boneheaded like that is especially anything to the head it's just so incredibly risky it's so out of the spirit of sport and you're right. $5,000 is just such a mockery of a penalty. Um, it's gross. I agree. I can appreciate a good fight when
0: it is tempers flare. You're just willing to throw down, gain momentum for your team. You shake hands after, and you go back to playing a fiery style of hockey. I can appreciate that. Um, but the argument you can be made is, is that it leads to stuff like this when when players are allowed to go unpoliced and the refs have not been great at game management this year and then the other argument you can make the see over here is nathan mckinnon getting injured he'll be out for the stretch run and maybe into the playoffs after he fought uh, a couple of days ago so that's the other argument you can make is with the game going to more and more skill guys not as many of them know how to throw a punch i'm sure nathan does but they don't fight as often and so when they do they're more likely to hurt themselves and then you're losing a very very valuable asset out
1: on the ice i don't mind that actually like as long as the player knows what they're getting into like the consequences of their decision lies with them and it it does sort of like the it is the era of skilled players will never go back but too much a little the team that brings in a little more physicality and suddenly like all these skilled players don't know what to do how to handle it they're bruised they're hurt they don't want to look at the other team I don't mind that yeah and and this might be the only time I ever say this but
0: it's I'm less concerned about the player in that sense and more of if players are fighting you worry as a fan and as a manager that you're losing assets because of that like it's not necessarily Nathan shouldn't be fighting. The worry is that there's always the possibility of injury and fights elevate that risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, good little chat there. We'll see how the Leafs do tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, another team historically noted for their size and
1: physicality. We'll see no how bad they stack blood or up anything against them. here.
0: Yeah, I know, of course not, right?
1: This one should be gentle.
0: Well, I don't at know least... if you saw,
1: but uh, Blackwell out, Simmons in for this one just for that yeah. reason.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, I think they're starting to rotate that fourth line because it's it's looked like it's been losing some of its legs in the past couple of weeks. So nice no, to it... see Simmons get a day off and now jump back into the lineup.
1: Okay, Keith said explicitly, like, I told Collar, it's just this game. You're small. We want Simmons in for it. Yeah, He's... yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I>,
0: uh... <laughs> We'll see. We'll see what happens in that one. Um, yeah, I. It, good to have the physicality there for that game. And uh, we get down to the stretch run there. They're going to need that option to be flexible in terms of size versus skill. And if you haven't yet, I would put a heavy wager on the over in this game because these two teams love to score against one another. All right, we're on to basketball here. Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's been all season, Embiid, and then of course Jokic making a late push in terms of the MVP conversation, but kind of skating by under the radar the entire year, Giannis has willed this Milwaukee Bucks team that was perennially the number one seed for the last four or five seasons now. He has willed them through injuries and through adjustments that have caused them to underperform he has willed them now they're still right in the thick of things and have a shot at at getting that first seed in the eastern conference and has done so on all of the same statistics as Jokic and Embiid in fact in every one of his counting stats besides steals he actually averages more blocks more points more rebounds more assists per game than Joel Embiid Um, and which is Fascinating, because Embiid's more of your traditional center, although Giannis does play a lot of that center as well, and he also is shooting a higher percentage from the field. And so, with the thought becomes, Jokic is still probably the favorite right now for the MVP, but can he be the MVP if they fall into that playing game in the seventh seed? Because you do want to recognize the winning, and that's why. Jason Tatum and Devin Booker have shot up the MVP rankings as of late because both of them have led their teams to high seeds in their respective conferences. And how can we ignore Giannis when he, out of the three main MVP candidates, does have the best record of the three and has contributed to winning. Yeah. Oh, Doncha's just turned it on immensely in the last couple months. But again, Giannis the whole season every night he goes out and puts up ridiculous numbers he goes for 40 and 16 against Philadelphia in a statement win blocking and beat on the last shot attempt of the game and yeah i mean if you're looking for a narrative that's it right there and i just i don't understand how some of the media continues to neglect him after giving him back-to-back mvps like last year you can understand a little bit of the f- voter fatigue um but a year off and he's been just as good, if not better as those two MVP seasons that it like his name should be right there. And I think this is the tightest MVP race we've had in a couple of years now, in terms of the way the votes are going to get split and the, the bias that some of the voting people have
1: uh, when making this decision. It's hard to feel like they're going to get it wrong, but it's also hard to feel like they're going to get it right. Just, A great way of putting
0: it, yeah. I think it's really going to come down to who is getting those second and third place votes on people's ballots uh, and how it shakes out. Because if they all go even in terms of first place votes, but then the majority of people have a Giannis over a Jokic in that second place spot, that could
1: be the thing that ends up deciding it. So, really, really fascinating. It just I think we'll have to do like an in depth discussion on the definition of value because I think that's really where it comes down to like Jokic the case is doing more with less um but then that Mm -hmm. record like a huge question I saw John Morant like tweeting something the other week like okay so like while when Jokic was really the front runner in the headlines for like that two-week stretch like okay have we just thrown out the like you need to be a top contending seed and I I don't have a good answer on that because basketball is a team game and it, it is the Bucks being a better team than the Nuggets not Giannis being a more valuable player than Jokic that I attribute yeah. the Bucks relative success over the Nuggets to so I yeah. genuinely don't know how that shakes out and where I sit on the answer um yeah we will have to get our thoughts on it though because the
0: NBA season is basically six games left so yeah in in a rather short manner we will be having our end of year awards discussion um and and letting it be known where sports next door stands on the mvp award race all right last couple of notes here in basketball uh right after i spent a couple minutes giving the boston celtics their due and a bit of a love fest there they go and lose their most impactful defensive player in robert williams and i and i i don't think again maybe not their best defensive player. You could give that honor to Marcus Smart. Um, but I think most impactful, just because of the way the entire dynamic shifts on this team, they they lose their best rim protector. And a guy, I mean, it's, it's a little cliche, but there's a reason why the badge in NBA 2K is called Eraser, right? He just erases plays. And having a rim protector instantly decreases the highest probability shot in the game which is dunks and layups. And so if you are able to lower the percentage on those shots, you're going to take away a lot of points from teams. And we saw this when the Raptors beat the Celtics uh earlier this week was Pascal Siakam and the Raptors were able to penetrate get to the paint and they were not looking over their shoulder for Robert Williams who was going to come out from the fifth row and swat it off the backboard, right? And I think it was 66 points in the paint in that game, which is noticeable in in a league now that relies a lot on three-point shooting and then we again saw it last night in probably one of the few really big matchups remaining in the season where the Miami Heat able to go into Boston uh and and score in the paint and establish their physicality and down the stretch Boston on offense really struggled because Miami was starting to show some of the coverages that they'll see in the playoffs and Boston hasn't played in a lot of crunch time games in the last 30 games because they've been blowing teams out. And so when they start to trap Jason Tatum and get the ball out of his hands and into the hands of other decision makers bought this Boston team seems to struggle to execute down the stretch and if they're giving up points in the paint without robert williams it it really decreases the ceiling that this team had and so (laughs) right after spending all this time giving them love i'm gonna have to redact a little bit of what i said on the previous pod because of this injury and it just sucks because they've been so great
1: the last couple of months i do think offensively they will figure it out when you have a one-two punch like tatum and brown Mm -hmm um and a couple veteran players like a Marcus Smart like a Horford you'll lock in and figure out the offense on the double teams defensively I feel like it's a shame because I do think the Robert Williams strategy of put this guy on a less deadly offensive player and have him be the help rim protector is something that will be would have been fascinating in a playoff matchup to see the offensive ju- adjustments and spacing you create to try and deal with that and i think it is in a playoff series where the holes in that type of strategy do get exposed and the reg much like a rudy gobert right like very different styles of defense but not unsimilar in like great regular season success but there's some holes in the playoffs and when you have extended looks at it you figure out how to expose them um yeah I this team Jason Tatum like still gives me trauma from that last playoff series we had where he was just so consistently clutch and I think this is one of those guys who can kind of like a Devin Booker who can that we saw in the playoffs last year who can just lock in and play at the highest level in the world for however long the moment sets his mind to so i will not count the celtics out of the playoffs but yeah a tough blow for sure
0: um and as we get towards the end of this podcast i go from one uh, tough moment to another, and Max, I do not know if you have seen this. I'm guessing not, but no. uh, Egypt in World Cup qualifiers, I believe it was against Algeria. Uh, no, that's definitely wrong. But in any event, World Cup qualifiers, they lose. They do not move on to the World Cup. And the video going around of Mo Salah, the Liverpool star, taking a penalty uh, in the penalty shootout to go getting just destroyed by lasers from the crowd that's fucking illegal he's standing there over the ball and there's about 10 to 20 green lasers all flashing around his face around his body from the stands and he proceeds to sail the penalty kick over the crossbar now i have limited knowledge of the history of european and african soccer i am a soccer fan but not in the degree that many others are and from what i gather this is not an uncommon occurrence in soccer and wow. it is not well policed i mean they have the craziest fans in the world and we know that uh but this is something that has been seen throughout the throughout the years and obviously salad just decided to play through it i don't know if he could have just waited and seen if all of the lasers had been confiscated but a really really fascinating development and i was shocked to see uh something tarnish like this is probably the biggest competition in the world and it gets decided perhaps on the actions of 10 people shining lasers into someone's eyes it's it, if not incredibly distracting it's dangerous depending on where you're yeah, flashing I, the lasers I, I was it's thinking just, about
1: eye damage yeah like really really shocking that could end a career <laughs> um yeah. yeah, and so,
0: I mean, with Canada progressing, um, uh, super exciting. They didn't have to deal with any of that. I mean, we've talked about Concacaf in the past with yeah. some of the the strategies that home teams will take to employ and make it less hospitable for the visitors. But I haven't seen that before in Concacaf. So really, really wild stuff. Um, and just to touch base with Team Canada unfortunately not able to get the job done and move up into pot three for the world cup draw so they will be in pot four which is the weakest eight teams out of the 32 meaning they will have a fairly difficult pool i mean it's the world cup nothing's going to be a cakewalk but um, the goal here obviously is to produce a couple good results and If you're lucky, make it to the knockout stage. But I think that is the ceiling really on this team would be to get out of the World Cup group stage and probably lose in the first round of the qualifying. But in any event, going to be really fun. And we'll get to see Canadian soccer players stack up against the world heavyweights, um, which is awesome. (laughs) Still on cloud nine about that. And the draw is tomorrow. So we will see who will be in each group stage come tomorrow. Can't wait for that. Last note here before we wrap things up, Bobby Wagner signing a five-year $50 million deal with the Los Angeles Rams. So the Rams add another veteran stud uh, to their defensive core. Wagner, again, this is a sticker shock deal. He'll probably play two years of this and then they'll find a way to not pay him the rest of those three years. NFL contracts are crazy like that. They're usually only ever like one year guaranteed. And then after that, they can kind of funnel the money anywhere they want and not give it to the player. So obviously it looks like a great contract for the agent and the player. I wouldn't get my hopes up that he's gonna get all that money, but it's a great ad for the Rams who are trying to run it back um, because he still can be a difference maker at this point in his career. All right. That's going to do it for this one. Um, I hope everyone had as much fun with this podcast as Max did crowd surfing uh, above, above the, the fans at his concert. Um, until next time, we appreciate everyone for listening and hope you have an awesome weekend. Max, send us off.
1: I have to confess, I've spent the last five minutes fantasizing about shining lasers on Chris Paul or James Harden (laughs) as they take free throw after free throw. Sports Next Door, signing out.